This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 74 is here. I am here in the STS studios in my office. Where else would I rather be right now but talking here with you? And speaking about talking with you, huge thanks to everyone that participated in the Mets trade deadline preview special that I kind of did on Twitter spaces. Over 800 of you, 852 to be exact, tuned in. A lot of you spoke with me on the Twitter spaces. I was originally going to do a podcast because I'm trying to do this thing where I do two episodes a week, but the trade deadline with how quick it goes by and how, you know, it it really changes things and, and the, you know, it makes the episode, you know, not relevant after one or two days. So if I would have did a preview and then you know the next day was the trade deadline it would have just not made any sense so I said let's go live let's do a Twitter spaces and 852 people tuned in I talked with a whole bunch of people for a little over two hours you can listen to that on my Twitter page because I recorded it so you can listen back to it then if you wanted to hear a lot of med fans were upset about was going down so far in what would happen in the trade deadline. We're going to get a lot into that in this week's episode for sure. We'll talk about that shortly, but got to talk about since the last time we talked. How about these Mets right now? Road Warriors, 5-1 and one in Miami and Washington. That one loss kind of was an important loss, and I say that because it was the season debut of Jacob deGrom. He's missed over a year with injuries. He's back. We lost him at last year's trade deadline, and now we get him back at this year's trade deadline, and he did not disappoint. It's like he never left. Against Washington, five innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, no walks, six strikeouts on 59 pitches. 46 of those 59 pitches were for strikes. He hit 102 miles per hour on his fastball. The slider reached 95 with seven swings and misses. Most importantly, out of all of that happened and took place, most importantly is how he felt the next day. And Jeremy Hefner went on to say that Jacob deGrom felt good the day after, and he is trending in the right way. The plane is taking off. And that was from a tweet from Mike Puma. It was vintage deGrom. That's all you could ask for is vintage deGrom on his first start. But also, what else did we get? Vintage Mets offense on Jacob deGrom's day. 
They couldn't score for him. And I don't even know what to think of it anymore when they just can't score. This guy gives up no runs or one run or two runs, and they can't get across any runs for him. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I really don't know what it is. I didn't think it was going to carry over, especially with how well the offense has played as of late, and we're going to get a little bit into that a little more in just a few moments but it was great to see Jake out there it's great to know that he's feeling better the next day and that he will be scheduled to make his next start in a huge game on Sunday a part of a huge series against the Atlanta Braves but the Mets probably couldn't score for DeGrom because let's look over how well they played on Sunday against Miami. 19 hits. Everyone had a hit in the lineup. At least one hit everyone had. A couple guys had two, a couple guys had three, but at least one hit for everyone in that lineup. You go to Monday, the next day, 13 hits against Washington. And then on Wednesday in the series finale, 14 hits You can't ask for more of what we've gotten from, how about Jeff McNeil turning it around after a, you know, rough go to start the All-Star break. He played very well, and over the last, I want to say, what is it, seven games for Jeff McNeil, he's gotten his batting average back over 300 at 302 right now, and 400 batting average in the last seven games, one home run, three RBIs, 12 hits, on-base percentage of 419, slugging of 667. You Just what you want to see from Jeff McNeil, because he, you could see He was having a hard time. He was getting frustrated like he always does when he's not hitting, but he played very well. Brandon Nimmo, who I, you know, I tweeted over the last couple games that he was struggling. He's turned it around. 364 average over the last seven games with one home run and six RBIs. You need these two kind of table setters to get this offense where it needs to be. If these two guys are not hitting, Nimmo at the top of the lineup, Jeff McNeil a little bit, I guess around the bottom of the lineup, mid-bottom of the lineup, you're going to struggle. And how about Francisco Lindor? Right? Francisco Lindor, a 440 average in the last seven games, three home runs, eight RBIs. You get what you paid for, right? This is what we've been talking about. A lot of fans upset because they don't think that he was worth that money. And he's proving it. Look at this 19 home runs, 74 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. He's batting 262, OPS of 797. I mean, what more do you want from Francisco Lindor? Second in RBIs on the team, only to a Pete Alonso. And, you know, Pete Alonso himself, who he's probably been the one that's been struggling as of late, batting 222. But he's got three home runs, five RBIs in the last seven games. You look at his last 15 games, five home runs, 16 RBIs. Pete Alonso is on an MVP type season, 28 home runs. 88 RBIs to lead the league, 276 batting average, and like we said, he's hitting the ball opposite field. He's doing what's needed to be done to carry this team and help this team, but if the other guys aren't hitting around him, then it's a struggle because then everything's counting on him, on him, which kind of what happened last season, and he struggled. Once he struggled, the whole offense struggled, and with him hitting well, Nimmo hitting well, Jeff McNeil hitting well, And you also, how about the addition of Daniel Vogelback, huh? He's been getting on base. He's been doing things that you wanted Dom Smith and J.D. Davis to do at the D.H. position. Since 
being with the Mets, a 318 average, one home run, four RBIs, which he hit a grand slam on Wednesday. How about this? Six walks. The guy is on base all the time. Don't let him fool you. He is a very good hitter, and he's going to be a big part of what Billy Epler said is a big platoon with a guy we're going to talk about that they traded for at the deadline shortly. But Daniel Vogelback has been a huge addition to this offense. They're playing so well since he came on the scene. And a guy who's been very consistent. And, you know, you kind of could think of it as like quiet consistency. But he's just been so huge for this team. How about Starling Marte? I mean, the last seven games, two home runs, seven RBIs. He's batting 333. He has played so well for this team, batting 299 on the season, 11 home runs, 48 RBIs, OPS of 816. Marte's a winning player. If he could just keep his legs healthy, and you can tell some games where, you know, he can't bust it out because his hamstring or, you know, a leg injury, so something to keep an eye on, but Starling Marte is at advertised for this team so far. Everything that happened so well for the Mets between the last time we talked, which was the post-Subway series, and up until Tuesday, really set us up for a tantalizing trade deadline. However, it was very underwhelming. Why? Well, let's start off at the beginning and We talked about the priorities, right? I posted on Twitter what the Mets needed, what their priorities were when it came to getting this team where it needs to be come postseason. And what did they need? Right off the bat, they needed relief pitching. I thought that they needed at least two relievers, one from the right side, one from the left side, and one of those guys to possibly be a setup man. They needed a DH right, from the right-handed side to take care of the lefties. Because you had Daniel Vogel back on the left-handed side taking care of righties. You needed someone from the right-handed side. I talked about bench pieces that we needed. And if possible, to get another starting pitcher because you never know with the injuries. So did Billy Epler deliver on those priorities? Yes and no. Kind of, sort of, right? Let's look at the trades that the Mets made. And they only made two. And this is why it was... We'll get into why it was underwhelming shortly. But the Mets made a trade with the San Francisco Giants. And when I saw that, I was like, oh man, are they bringing back Wilmer Flores? And... Unfortunately, it wasn't Wilmer Flores. They did bring in Darren Ruff, and Darren Ruff is that right-handed bat we talked about, right? Obviously, his stats don't look great, right? 216 average this season. He has 11 home runs, 38 RBIs. He's got more home runs than Dom Smith. He's got more home runs and RBIs than J.D. Davis. But this is the most important thing. He hits lefties, and we're going to get into that because The Mets traded for Darren Ruff, and they sent to the Giants J.D. Davis. The J.D. Davis era is over. They sent left-handed pitcher Thomas Zapucky, left-handed pitcher Nick Swack, right-handed pitcher Carson Seymour. Both of those minor leaguers were the 2021 draft picks. Why did they make this trade? Like I said, to strengthen the DH position, which was a weakness. If Dom Smith and J.D. Davis did their part and hit, we wouldn't be in this position right now to have to trade minor leaguers and have to make this such a priority. We barely have gotten anything from Dom Smith, definitely hasn't had any power, and look already what Daniel Vogelback's done. Now we're swapping J.D. Davis for Darren Ruff. 
and he hits lefties. How much more of an upgrade is Ruff over JD? Let's look at the stats. Against left-handed pitching, Ruff, 9 home runs, 24 RBIs, 16 walks, and 33 strikeouts. For J.D. Davis, two home runs, nine RBIs, 13 walks, 35 strikeouts. Significantly better. You look at their splits. A 252 batting average for Ruff, J.D., 223. That is close to 30 points higher. 30 points higher also for on-base percentage. 364 for Ruff, 330 for J.D. Davis. Slugging percentage over 200 or close to 200 points, 523 for Ruff. JD 330. And then you go to the OPS over 200. 887 for Ruff. JD 660. He struggles against lefties, which makes this platoon make more sense. So Ruff and Vogelback will platoon at DH. Ruff is versatile. He could play first base. He could play outfield. Right there. That takes care of the DH and bench role on the list. Because when one is not hitting, the other one's going to be on the bench. You got Tyler Naquin coming off of the bench. And he'll probably swap in and out with, you know, Nimmo some days, Canna some days, um, Marte some days. You're going to need this versatility. And the Mets have created this roster to be so versatile so that you can plug in and out a player every game. It allows Jeff McNeil to move back to second. And he can also play other parts of the field. You have Eduardo Escobar, who can also play multiple positions. Also, Luis Guillorme, he can play multiple positions so the Mets have really made this lineup very very versatile and there will be no possible way that these guys could get tired with the way that Buck Showalter changes up the lineup every night so Daniel Vogelback will hit against righties Darren Ruff will hit against the lefties it's not the saucy name that everybody wanted it's not the big name that everybody was looking for but Darren Ruff could possibly if he succeeds, gets this job done. And from the stats we've seen, he should be able to hit lefties. Let's see if it happens. But the Mets did kind of take care, I guess, of that position. We were thinking of other names, right? We were thinking of Wilmer Flores, who really wasn't talked about. That was more of a thing for Mets fans. But Brandon Drury was another name. Trey Mancini, those are bigger names. But we'll get into why they didn't want to trade for those guys. The Mets also traded for Michael Givens. Relief pitcher from the Chicago Cubs. In return, the Cubs got right-handed pitcher Saul Gonzalez from St. Lucie Mets. He's not in the top 30 of the Mets prospects. Big thing here is that Michael Givens played for Buck when he managed the Orioles in 2015 through 2018. He's a solid relief pitcher. Where will he fit in, though? That's the thing. And we look at Michael Givens' stats this season, and this is including the game that happened on Wednesday when he got lit up in the ninth inning. He's 6-2 and two this season with a 3.70 ERA. When he came to the Mets, he had a 2.88 ERA. But coming into a blowout, kind of first game jitters, I guess. All, he looked nervous. He also, you know, was right off the plane coming to the game, and they threw him right in there in the ninth. Yeah, a blowout game, and he, he gave up five runs. So I'd rather have him give up five runs in a meaningless ninth inning with the Mets up by a lot of runs than have him blow a game this weekend against the Braves where you know these games are going to be close, you know these games are going to be tight. Let him get that out of his system. The stats are there. We know what Michael Givens can do, 
And there you go. There's one check mark, right? One check mark off of the relief pitching core. Will he pitch high leverage situations? That's going to remain to be seen. Will he set up? I don't know. I feel like Adovino's still going to be that guy, or Seth Lugo could possibly be that guy. Does a combination of Givens, Adovino, and Diaz scare enough in the playoffs? Because you know who I wanted. I wanted David Robertson, and not getting him... You know, what does that set us up for, for the playoffs? Because you don't have that setup, man, that David Robertson is. You don't have that New York experience and that playoff experience from David Robertson. But you look at the postseason for a Michael Givens, and he pitched pretty well in the postseason. But he does have some playoff experience, not as much as what David Robertson would be giving us. But to each his own, right? And we're going to have to stick with what we have here. My initial grade for this trade deadline, for what Billy Epler did, initially I gave him a C-. minus. Now, you got to consider what we were told, and obviously it was from the media, all the names that cycled around that week of who the Mets were interested in and what they got and how other teams improved. It was very disappointing and, like I said, underwhelming. Looking back on it now, thinking about it, how they handled these two trades, I'll give them a C. I upped it to C. It's not a B. It's not definitely not an A, but it's not an F either. They filled the role, at least a couple of the pieces that they filled were needed, and they did do that. Now, for me... Billy Epler sort of disappointed in his first real test as the GM of the New York Mets. Offseason's different when you can sign people and, and get what the money that Steve Cohen brings to the table, get a good usage out of that. But the real test comes during the trade deadline, how you're able to use your prospects in getting pieces. And the Mets didn't really do that. They made good complementary moves, but lacked a needle-moving move. Considering the moves other teams made in the National League and the division, it felt like this was a letdown. All those teams that are in playoff contention made significant improvements. We look at what the Padres did, and they had the probably the best trade deadline possible. They got Josh Hader. They got Brandon Drury. And probably the prize of the trade deadline, Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Now, Juan Soto was always a pipe dream for the Mets. The Nationals and Mike Rizzo were never going to trade him here with all those years that were attached to him. I thought maybe they could pry away at Josh Bell since he was going to be a free agent, but that didn't happen. And then at the very least, Brandon Drury should have been a possibility, and they didn't go after him because of the prospects that they would have to have given up. Look at how the Phillies got better. They got David Robertson, which was the big L for me for Billy Epler. There's no way you should not have gotten David Robinson, especially after what the Phillies gave up for him and allowed him to come back into this division. The Phillies also got Noah Syndergaard, so he's back in the NL East. Can't run and hide anymore. He will be able to see him pitch against the Mets at some point. And they also got outfielder Brandon Marsh, a pest of the Mets during that Anaheim series. Houston got better. Trey Mancini and Christian Vasquez. Those are two other names that the Mets were looking into. The Twins got better. Michael Fulmer, who was a reliever I was looking into. They also got closer Jorge Lopez from the Orioles. And then the Braves pulled off a last-minute trade to get Raciel Iglesias. And they got starting pitcher Jake Odorizzi. Those moves don't really scare me as much. Raciel Iglesias has not been having such a great season. And I mean, I don't 
don't know if he's going to close or be the setup man, but we'll see how that plays out this weekend for sure. Now, watching these moves and the moves made by the team across town, getting everything that they needed on their checklist only added what felt like a lackluster day. You add in the DeGrom start that was wasted, and it kind of was a frustrating day. But to me, honestly, I didn't need big moves. And I didn't really want Contreras. J.D. Martinez became an unattractive move for me once Christian Vasquez was traded. The most important thing I thought the Mets needed to do was to get two relievers. Like I said, a setup man, a lefty. And we didn't get a lefty. All of this could have been solved in the offseason if Billy Epler signed Andrew Chafin. So now they go to Detroit, and Detroit's asking for prospects. We wouldn't have had to have done this if we have signed him in the offseason. But we don't have Andrew Chafin, and I think the Mets and Epler failed on that whole situation. And on counting on Joely Rodriguez to turn it around, are we really going to count on Joely Rodriguez in the postseason in big at-bats with Juan Soto at the plate? Are the Mets really going to do that? Now, you could go to David Peterson, but he struggled against the Yankees in a big spot giving up that home run to Glaber Torres walking uh, Anthony Rizzo the Mets failed to get a left-handed pitcher in that bullpen and for that I have to give Epler an F another area that Epler failed at was his comments during the press conference I mean here are some takeaways I'm not gonna speak verbatim but I summarize some of the words he used during this presser he goes on about trying to maintain organizational discipline and not getting the urge to make any snap or impulsive decisions and getting giving up future world series odds for marginal games right now um hello these are not marginal games right now these are important games this team is at the top of the division only three and a half up this is the second best record in franchise history for the New York Mets. So these are not marginal games. There are no marginal games when you're in the playoff hunt, especially now that more teams have been added to the playoffs. There are no marginal games. So I don't know why he said that. I know he's trying to think of the future and plan for the future, but you have to have a balance planning for the future as well as improving this team right now. Now, what came out important to me as well was that he wanted to stay out of trading from the top 19 prospects that the Mets have. I talked about this earlier. I always wanted to be a fly on the wall to know who was available for trading. We know Francisco Alvarez wasn't available. Brett Beatty wasn't available. But I always thought that a Ronnie Mauricio, and that came out that Ronnie Mauricio was available, but Mark Vientos wasn't. And I said to myself, if you're not going to trade any of these guys, you're probably not getting anything. Now, I don't disagree with not trading for rentals, but at some point, you got to make a move. And I'll explain to you why. Let's look at what the pieces, at least that I was eyeing, were being traded for. David Robertson, who was the number one guy that I wanted the Mets to get, went for pitcher Ben Brown to the Phillies. He's not in the top 100 organizationally ranked he's 25th baseball america ranked him seventh best prospect in the phillies organization so you're looking at having to give up a top five guy for david robertson michael fomer went for sawyer gibson long who's not in the top 100 or top 30 organizationally ranked mlb pipeline and also uh twins daily 
had this little quote on, on this Sawyer Gibson Long. Some promise still. There's plenty of risk here to not count on him for the future. Gibson Long isn't a substantial price to pay. Whatever value the Twins get from a bolstered relief unit, this season is likely to outweigh contributions for Gibson Long years from now. The Mets could have got Fulmer, I feel like. Then you go to Jorge Lopez, who got traded for Yenera Cano, Juan Nunez, and left-handed pitcher Cade Povich, who was the number 26 prospect in MLB Pipeline and the 19th in fan graphs for the Orioles. And he, I mean, that's what he'd become. You have Han, uh, Juan Rojas, left-hander Povich projects as a mid-rotation starter. So I assume that that would have been a Matt Allen that the Mets would have to have trade for Jorge Lopez. I don't know if I would have done that. But we go to Drury. Brandon Drury went for Victor Acosta to the Padres. Not in the top 100, but organizationally ranked 23rd. MLB Pipeline has him ranked 16th. The Reds' top prospects in shortstop is not... Acosta, but their number one prospect is a shortstop, and they have two other shortstops ahead, so that made that easy to get rid of Victor Acosta. I feel like Drury was another guy that we could have went in and got. Trey Mancini gets a little more complicated because the Orioles got, in a three-team trade with the Rays and the Astros, the Orioles got a number six prospect on the Rays team, Seth Johnson, and Chase McDermott, who's the number 12 prospect. If the Mets weren't giving up any of their top 19, they were definitely not getting Trey Mancini. And then you look at Christian Vasquez, went for Emmanuel Valdez and Willier Abreu. Valdez is the 28th ranked prospect in Houston's farm system, while Abreu ranks 29th and that's not how people are going to say you're looking at these prospects and what the Mets have is there a conspiracy with going against Cohen and having this Cohen tax or is it that our farm system is just not that great yet we did have a good draft there are top prospects but I think in the top 20 in all of baseball if we look at the top 20 Francisco Alvarez is the clear number one prospect in all of baseball and then you go to 18 and you got Brett Beatty and then after that there's no other Met until we get to Ronnie Mauricio at number 50 and if the Mets aren't willing to trade from the, uh, I mean, obviously you're not trading Alvarez or Beatty, but if you're not trading Mauricio, Alex Ramirez, who's the number four prospect, Vientos, five, Allen, six, Khalil Lee, seven, Plummer, eight, Dominic Hamill, nine, Joel Diaz, 10, Ziegler, 11, Budo, 12, Simon Juan, 13, Jalen Palmer, 14, Carlos Cotez, 15, 16, Junior Santos, 17, Eric Ors, 18, Robert Dominguez, and 19, J.T. Schwartz. If you're not trading any of those 19 prospects, you're not going to get anything big but maybe some of these prospects the other teams don't like maybe they don't feel like they're good enough we always hear about how good these prospects are and how well they're doing but maybe other teams don't hold them to the highest standards here's another thing i also think the mets are holding on to these prospects for the offseason for a possible deal for shohei atani now we know that billy epler talked with the angels this weekend trying to gauge what they thought about trading, and eventually Otani was taken off of the trade block. But maybe the Mets got a feel. Maybe Billy asked and said, hey, what will it take to do this in the offseason? Because maybe they would give up less than they would now. But maybe that's why they were holding off on certain prospects. Maybe now they know what it will take to get Otani, and they said, hey, we'll revisit in the offseason, and we'll do it then. So maybe that's something and a reason why the Mets did not trade any of these high-profile prospects. You're going to want an Otani who's got you know, years on him and who's not going to be a free agent come the end of the season. So the Mets didn't want to trade for these, you know, rentals. 
Now, back to this season right now and what's important. Thought that if by not trading Mark Vientos and definitely not trading Francisco Alvarez, that maybe we might see them sometime this summer. And Pat Ragazzo tweeted during the trade deadline that based off of numerous conversations that he had had with the Mets people in recent weeks, that one possible pivot plan may have been to call up top prospect catcher Francisco Alvarez if they couldn't upgrade at the position before 6 p.m. trade deadline. Should the Cubs not budge off their ask, which they didn't for Wilson Contreras, I'm glad that they didn't, I didn't really want him, will we see Francisco Alvarez? Billy Epler said no, pretty quickly too, during that press conference. But guess what? Francisco Alvarez is on fire right now in AAA. He hit a massive home run the other night. Looked like it left the stadium. I don't know how much longer Billy Upper is going to be able to keep down Francisco Alvarez. Especially if James McCann's not hitting, if Tomas Nito's not hitting. Maybe if there's an injury, we'll see him or Vientos. What I'm worried about with the Mets is counting on injured players coming back. McCann, DeGrom, May, McGill, and that being part of the philosophy of why they didn't make any big deals at the trade deadline. We know what DeGrom is and what he can do, but can he stay healthy now? Is he going to stay healthy throughout the end of the season and the postseason? McCann, he wasn't lighting it up before he got hurt twice. At least get this guy up to, what, 220 with a little power? Gotta see more offense from him. Otherwise, split him and Nito when it comes to catching duties. Then you got Trevor May coming back. He struggled. He wasn't pitching as well either. Before Tyler McGill got hurt, he was pitching well. But are you going to thrust him into the bullpen at a time and in these big situations when it comes playoff time? I don't even know if he makes the postseason roster, to be honest. We will see if they can come back and be that trade deadline move. As much as I hate that philosophy, we will see if they can get it done. I hope it works out. It's a tough road ahead for the Mets. Players are getting older, and this team may look very, very different come 2023. So we have to keep that in mind when it comes to the rest of this season and the possible future for this organization. Now, some final notes before this train leaves the station. Talked about returning players. Trevor May made his return against the Nationals on Wednesday. One innings pitched, one hit, one strikeout. This season, as we know, has been a struggle. I mentioned it before. He has a 7-7-1 ERA. He's going to have to really turn it around and get himself going in this bullpen because we definitely need his arm in the bullpen also making his return James McCann is returning Thursday for the series against the Atlanta Braves just in time to help out that rotation and the great game calling that he does but we need his bat to get going he's batting 183 can you at least bat over 200 come on James at least over 200 two home runs 11 RBIs at the very least 210 Come on. So we'll see what he does. The Mets have a huge 11-game homestand. The biggest homestand of the year in terms of importance. Five games set against the Atlanta Braves with a Saturday doubleheader. Everyone in the rotation is getting a piece of this Atlanta Braves team. And it's going to be playoff atmosphere. If you're not going to any one of these games, you should be. And support this team. Make it feel like there's a 10th man on the field against these Braves. And let's send these Braves packing. 
They'll also have three games against Cincinnati at home and then three games to finish off against the Philadelphia Phillies who are, I think, about, what is it, 10 games out right now, maybe? So it's a big homestand coming up for the New York Mets, and hopefully they can, after this series, be that much closer to winning the National League East this season. Now, um, wanted to send condolences out to the family of Vince Scully. He passed away at the age of 94. Legendary broadcaster, 67 years with the Dodgers organization from 1950 to 2016, spanning from Brooklyn to Los Angeles, called some iconic World Series moments. One of them, the Kirk Gibson home run in the 1988 World Series, Los Angeles versus Oakland. And then one of my favorite moments that I always like to look back on, the Bill Buckner error in Game 6 of the 1986 World Series Mets versus Red Sox. Now, I want you to do me a favor right now. I want you to close your eyes. Because every time I listen to this, it gives me goosebumps. I usually don't play any clips, but I'm going to do one today. And I'm going to play that epic call from the legendary Vin Scully. 5-5 in a delirious 10th inning. Can you believe this ball game of Shea? Oh, brother. 3-2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win. If one picture is worth a thousand words, you have seen about a million words. But more than that, you have seen an absolutely bizarre finish to game six of the 1986 World Series. The Mets are not only alive, they are well. I mean, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. Vin Scully, one of the greatest broadcasters ever, and it's... Very interesting, uh, looking back on the last couple days, two iconic sports broadcasters passed away within uh, a day of each other. Not in the same year, but Vince Scully, August 2nd, 2022. Bob Murphy, iconic Mets radio announcer, August 3rd of 2004. So two legendary announcers that we lost. Um, So we send our condolences out to Vince Scully. Uh, Rest in peace, Vin, and uh, we're going to miss your voice on the air. Now let's wrap up this show. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter and Instagram, and also now on TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome, thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know this is the place to be. This is the podcast to listen to if you're a Met fan. If you've been a supporter this whole entire time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you, and because of you. Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also reaches across the globe. No matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this podcast better each and every week. And by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section, it helps me to know how to make this show better every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify, which is also an option. 
And also, don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan sided network at Fan Sided. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.